You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. It's summer programming on 3CR and there's so many reasons to stay tuned. Shorts, features, documentaries, new and unusual music and highlights from 2022. To check out our summer grid, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash summer specials. You're listening to Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio. We're having a well-deserved break. So, today uh, we're going to listen to a recap of an interview Val and Faith did back on Monday the 8th of August 2022 with Elliot Fishman from the Institute of Sensible Transport. Please bear in mind that um, there may be content in this that was uh, you know, relevant to that time and may be out of date. word about uh, public radio particularly 3CR the thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it so when you listen to it you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life and 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street Collingwood is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about if you'd like to uh, subscribe the number is 94198377. You've been listening to the sand. You could never understand. Feel the fortune flowing. A bicycle hides nothing and threatens nothing. It is what it does. Its form is its function. Stuart Parker. Smoke song. Breathe deep. You're listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show here on 3CR. Podcasting, streaming, or just fine-tuning that transistor in the kitchen. Benny, thanks to Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! from those updates from America. We've got a big show coming up. We're talking about the air that we breathe. Is that all we need? And along for the ride, Faith, good morning. Good morning, Faith. Let me turn your microphone on and let me on your air. Good morning, Val. And joining us from the Institute of Sensible Transport and Clean Air, Elliot Fishman. Good to have you back on the radio show, Elliot. It's a pleasure to be here and an honour, because I understand I'm only the second guest since COVID struck to be in the studio. <laughs> we have completely triple scanned him, taking his barcode <laughs> reading, read his pulse rate and his blood pressure and everything all is well, viral free. <laughs> 
Ah, we've got a bit of show coming up, but we are going to be concentrating on, yes, the air that we breathe and what a difference it makes to us. So we might as well kick off this great show, as we always do, with one of those personal bicycle moments. Anybody want to put their hand up to go first? Look, I'm happy to. Uh, there we go. So it was actually this morning on the ride in, and uh, this would be, I think, an experience familiar to a lot of your listeners that are in the inner north, and that was riding down the Yarra Trail just downriver from Dites Falls, and you get those uh, rip, the um, the rapids there. Yep. Because it was a particularly cold morning, uh, you had the um, uh, uh, a lot of the, the water vapor coming up off the the water, so it almost had that effect of the the water kind of gently boiling, uh, and that's a really nice thing to to watch as you're riding by. <laughs> I was going to draw an allusion to Deep Purple there, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, uh, I've had a um, when things go wrong. I presume they go wrong in threes, but I mean, who's counts in the end? Um, I love awful discovery the other week. I've got a my what I would call my nice bike. I've discovered a crack in the frame. So, oh. and it's it's not all that old. I mean, not it's, the rally. No, 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 the rally's 50 years old yeah. and lives completely <laughs> indestructible. I've got a lovely Soma 650B. Oh, yeah. And I'm not a – I don't destroy things, so it was a bit heartbroken to uh, find the crack, but I presume it's going to be fixed. So that was one bad thing. And, look, I've, on the old rally, I had one of those completely avoidable falls on it the other day. Too much luggage in one pannier, swing the leg over the back, catch the top of the pannier, just go down straight on the side. <laughs> I'm in the front garden, if you don't mind, <laughs> just in the front driveway. I jump up to make sure the next door neighbour's not watching through it the window. It wasn't at the front of Woolworths. Or... Oh, no, it wasn't. Oh, But anyway, look, um, um, I have on a pair of them at very um, period correct, some lovely raw cork grips which I belovedly shellac and get to the exactly the same colour. And anything, the, the end of it broke off. And those are hard to replace. And I looked at it and thought, oh, no, that'll, bit of wood glue, bit of sawdust in the wood glue, that'll go on perfectly. So go inside, get rid of all the shopping, go out to do something else, put a little bit of cork on the table, <laughs> gone away. I've got a puppy who's about 12 months old, jumps up on the table and chews that piece of cork into a thousand pieces. Any hope of repair is completely gone. So I'm hoping for just good things from now on. In. You've done your dash. I've done my – I've had my limit. <laughs> I think I uh, had mine too. I was riding over this way and – on, uh, I got to Glen Lyon Road where I've forgotten the name of it. There's an apartment building that's had a, a walk and rideway put through the centre so people can cut through and you get to Glen Lyon and there's a set of traffic lights. And as I approached the traffic lights, they turned green for cyclists and pedestrians. So I sailed over there and got onto the Capital City Trail and turned left and approached Nicholson Street. And this is unheard of. The lights turned green before I got there, so I sailed over those and uh, got to St George's Road and same thing <laughs> happened again. It was um, 
Three in a row. Pretty remarkable. I don't know that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I've sort of thought, well, that's it. I'm going to be stuck at traffic lights for the next six months. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are countries where they have uh, green wave yeah. programs yeah, 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 where they yeah, synchronise yeah. the lights. So I don't think that's what's happening in your case, but, um, <laughs> but maybe one day. <laughs> I, I noticed in the Netherlands they now have one way you can signal with your an app that you're approaching, which I thought was interesting because the Netherlands is one of the countries who's made it illegal to use your phone while you're riding. Yeah, I think it does it in an automated way. So oh, okay. it, it, it recognises uh, from a certain distance away that you're approaching, you but you don't your... need to interact with your phone yep. for it to happen. You just need to have the app on and it will trigger a transponder to um, detect as though you're waiting at the lights even before you've got to the lights with the idea that there'll be enough time for the green sequence to yep. to go for you. So, yeah, that's one thing they're doing. They're doing some other really interesting things like um, displays that give you either a hare or a rabbit, uh, sorry, a hare or a, tur- tortoise. a tortoise Yeah. Um, to tell you whether you should be going faster or to slower get the, to get the green light yep. ahead so you don't end up having to cycle really fast only to wait at a red light. Yeah, <laughs> and that's an interesting thing. Um, when I was living in the Netherlands, they do that on the freeway. They'll tell you what speed you need to travel at to make sure you don't get a traffic jam. And and the Dutch were reasonably good at following it. Um, and we would also get news from the UK. And, and they had done similar things, but people were like, I'm not slowing down. And I don't know. I don't know what the outcome was. But at the time, I remember noticing the, the cultural differences in um, – seem to be playing out in how successful that was at um, relieving traffic jams. Yeah, the Dutch seem to have it pretty good in terms of the benefits of having a relatively cohesive society where they kind of recognise the communal good. Uh, that that seems to work fairly and well for them in lots of different Recognising the logic in something and, and maybe not getting as emotionally attached to... Yeah, mm. yeah that's right. <laughs> You'll have to explain to me the uh, Dutch farmers' protest. At oh, yeah, well, I, I can't, I can't oh, explain that one. Sorry, Val. <laughs> things, things have changed a lot in the last 10 yeah. years. Well, populism does, does yeah, have, yeah. Has, is a big reach. Yeah. Um, we got some news to discover? Um, the only thing we'll briefly mention um, is I know there's a bike lanes being trialled in Moreland at the moment, which will um, the trial has come to an end. And there was some separated bike lanes in Dawson Street in Brunswick, in Kent Road in Pascavale, and a protected lane on Northumberland Road in Pascavale, and some shared zones around Fleming Park, which is on the Brunswick Shimmy. So those trials have been running for a year, and the final report on them is going to council on Wednesday. Um, most of the areas that the they've been running they've been received really well uh the ones in pasco vale have been received very well they're well used um they've seen an increase in the proportion of women riding even in the short time they've been running through lockdowns and people not going to work and that um but there is also a small group of residents who are quite keen to get them removed so um i know residents up there are very concerned that they might lose them and uh, are running a petition at the moment that will be presented to council. Um, if you Google Save the Pasco Vale Bike Lanes and, and have a look on change.org, you'll be able to find that. But we'll also post a link to it after when the podcast goes up. Yeah. So um, because um, I think there's a strong sense in the north, 
you know, that they miss out. They have less access to public transport. There's bigger distances between destinations and they do have less active transport opportunities and safe ways of travelling by bike. So these lanes are very important to people up there. Mm-hmm. I um, picked up a little bit of a report from um, uh, information data from the 2021 um, census and this is tracking mental health issues and then particularly asthma in um, some parts of Melbourne and just looking at Yarra in comparison to um, Greater Melbourne, um, if you're taking the Greater uh, greater Melbourne average of uh, uh, notification or of asthma, it runs at about 7.9% of all the survey study, the census data in that area. But if you break it down to Yarra, rises to 9.3, Abbotsford to 9.6, Cremorne and um, Burnley up to about 9.5. And you can see these figures are all related to actually the ge- geography of and the social democra- uh, demographics of these people. But interesting to see all the low-lying areas in Melbourne tend to have a higher level of asthma. There are a couple of other indicators of that as well. So you really can see this air quality issue starting to hit local geography areas. That's the first bit I've seen from the 2021 census. It'll be interesting to see the rest, but it's running pretty close to all the other data that we get from around the world that are telling us that we do have pockets of bad air quality and we're getting health outcomes that are mirroring that exactly the same way. You're listening to Summer Programming on 3CR 855 AM or streaming on 3cr.org.au or via the Community Radio app or 3CR Digital. Take a breath, because <laughs> something's come. Something's come back from from many years ago. I was very. I'll be quick on this. Said sorry. There's a group going protest group group going around in uh, New York City, Manhattan, targeting four wheel drives, particularly letting down the tyres. This was done many years ago. Ball bearing on the tyre underneath the cap. The New York City, I've forgotten their gorilla name, but actually put a nice leaflet on the car and put a lentil under the cap to slowly ease out the air of the four-wheel drive. Created a bit of backlash, of course, but it's (laughs) very funny, I would have thought. We're going to be back just after this with a really better discussion on (laughs) (laughs) not only lentils, but the air that we do breathe. 3CR would like to thank our Yarrabug program sponsor, Backrose Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics and sells bikes to the local community. If you have a healthcare card, they'll give you a bike free of charge. To find out more, search for Vacro online or drop into the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Thursday or Friday. And you're back listening to the Arabug Radio Show. As we mentioned at the head of the show, studio guest today is Elliot Fishman from the Institute for Sensible Transport. You got it right. And uh, 
we got Elliot in today to talk about transport emissions. Um, it's something that we're starting to see, I think, in more recently, much more discussion about um, and the way that active transport in particular fits into that story. But maybe we should start by establishing just what are our transport emissions? So I don't have the figures right in front of me. There are people that know that better than I do. But uh, what I can say is in terms of the long-term average for the last 20 years, we have not made any inroads in reducing our emissions. So our emissions are still the same, in fact, quite a bit higher. Um, They're the same per capita. So our per capita emissions have remained stagnant over the last 20 years. And the total number of emissions uh, in terms of uh, tonnes of CO2 has increased significantly in the last 20 years. So whilst we've got a goal of reaching 43% reduction in emissions from 2005 levels by 2030, we are not even close to looking like we're beginning to make any uh, track towards meeting that target for transport. So we're... And that's... So there's been a little bit of talk about transport emissions, but there's been very little action. So Australia's been great on some areas of emissions reduction. So, you know, we've got the highest penetration of rooftop solar. Uh, we're, we're cleaning up uh, our power generation. So the electricity sector is, is cleaning up their act and the emissions intensity of grid electricity is improving. But while we've been doing that, we've also been buying Toyota Hiluxes and Ford Rangers faster than we ever have. And so they're the two most yeah. popular selling models of cars in Australia, uh, two cars that are basically exactly the same, that have very poor emissions. And they're going to be on the roads for the next 15 years. So this is why transport is so much more difficult to do than, say, uh, grid ele- electricity is because the, these things aren't owned just you know, five or six owners owning tens of thousands of vehicles. It's households owning one or two vehicles that uh, have been purchasing them. They, they have intentions for them to be on the road for a certain amount of time. There's a vibrant second-hand market. So even after a, a family might sell a petrol or diesel-powered car and go and buy a Tesla, but that car that they've lives sold on. lives on uh, <laughs> yeah. in the second-hand and third-hand market. So it's, it's a really difficult problem to solve, and we've done almost nothing, nothing. to really try and solve, including no vehicle emission standards. No, so yeah. we've become the dumping ground uh, of, uh, of poor uh, the vehicles. Vehicle you can't sell elsewhere. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And in terms of seeking to reduce emissions from mode shift, mode change, there's very little activity on that. It's almost as though governments are even scared to suggest that people should be using their cars yeah. less and use yeah. walking, cycling more. And, and just, you- I'm, I'm just when you're asking about the emissions, Faith, to give you a rough idea, because of our bad fuel standards and no emissions test, uh, 169.8 grams of carbon per kilometre travel this year, Australian standard. Europe's, uh, Europe's down to 120 grams per kilometre. We're still way over everything else. And I think, you know, of all our emissions, transport's 20%. Or, yeah, that, that's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. And it's the so fastest it's a big growing, chunk. It's a big chunk, yeah. Yeah. and it's the fastest growing source. And in by 2030, it will be the largest source because the electricity industry is it's reducing big. at the same time as yeah. transport is increasing. So um, over the course of time, that will end up meaning that transport ends up becoming a really big contributor. And even if you transfer over to electric vehicle, if you just charge using grid electricity uh, today... 
it isn't that much cleaner than a petrol-powered car. So if you go and buy an electric car and you charge it up with uh, green electricity, that's one thing. But if you use grid electricity, because grid electricity is quite carbon-intensive in Victoria because of our brown coal, the emissions reduction isn't that uh, much different from what you would get driving a regular petrol or diesel car. Okay. And when we buy these bigger, more powerful cars um, and that produce more of these emissions are we doing some are we doing really different trips to those we did 10 15 years ago uh, are we doing are we carrying more kids more groceries more stuff are we just doing what we used to do but- no uh, yeah look our our trip patterns have remained uh, roughly the same uh, so uh, the amount that a vehicle travels is roughly the same and the proportion of trips that are under 5 kilometers is around the same which is about 50% of trips around uh, five kilometres or less, and about 30% of trips are three kilometres or less. So we're still doing lots of uh, short trips. We've just got these beasts of cars that are making these trips to, to buy a litre of milk or dropping the kids off to school. Yeah. So um, we've got – it's almost uh, – some people talk about it as using a chainsaw to prune a rose bush. Like We're using yeah. Yeah. some pretty uh, capable cars to do some pretty minor things that – could be done quite easily on a bike or an e-cargo bike in, in almost yeah. all other cases. It has been a triumph of marketing the ability to sell these enormous cars to take. I think I've read uh, a couple of things on this. If you took four-wheel drives and SUVs all together on the planet, they would come in eighth or ninth in the world emissions as a nation. Right, yeah. That's a pretty big swipe of yeah. something, yeah. and it's just a marketing thing. And so if there's not a lot happening in Victoria to address this, what are some of the initiatives that governments elsewhere have done to sort of get those emissions down? So uh, some cities like uh, London have introduced ultra-low emission zones where you have to have uh, certain sorts of vehicles can um, enter and exit uh, certain zones of cities, which would help with the uh, the asthma rates that you were talking about before, Val. Um, there's also been uh, registration fees that are proportional to the engine size. So if you've got a bigger engine, you pay more. If you've got a smaller engine, you pay less. Um, we've got road user charges as well. Uh, there's also been uh, vehicle emission standards introduced in many countries. We're one of the few OECD countries that don't have vehicle emission standards, and my understanding is that that is something that is uh, will be looked at by the new Albanese government. Uh, there's also been uh, subsidies to those that want to buy e-bikes or e-cargo cycles, which is something that's been happening really successful in places like Germany and Sweden and the UK and France. Uh, so this is where you know a good quality e-bike might cost $4,000, but for a lot of people that's uh, not affordable. So providing a $500 or $750 subsidy to someone can help them get access to that bike. And we know that e-bikes are used twice as much as regular bikes, and each trip is twice as long as a regular bike trip, and they're far more often used as a replacement for motor vehicles. So there's lots of things that are available to either the Victorian or the Commonwealth government that have been tried and tested uh, for 20 years or 15 years in other countries. They know what works and they know what doesn't work and they can start to implement some of those things. And I think the big thing that they're going to really need to get over is this idea that uh, you can start to shift mode and you don't have to have automobile-centric policies around zero-emission technology. You can also look at 
reducing the 95% of trips that are done by car to try and bring that down to still something like maybe 70%. Mm -hmm. So it's still the majority of trips are done by car. So the world isn't going to come to an end. It's, It's not going to be a completely different environment. It's simply looking at a lot of those trips that are really short that are currently being done by car and looking at what are the other modes that could be used to replace those short distance car trips. And that's what you notice in places like the Netherlands, like, you know, um, people like to talk about everyone rides, but it's it's not everyone. And and most of the people who ride also have a car and use it for some trips. It's, that's right. So yeah. around 52% of all trips in the Netherlands are by car. So the majority, j- yeah. just over half of all trips are done by car, but about 26% of trips are done by bike. And that's all you need. Yeah. And, and, and that's actually, you know, I don't, you could still have dramatic improvements to our air quality and to our emissions and to the quality of life and the livability and the vibrancy of the streets in Melbourne by getting it up to, say, 10% of trips done by bike. And, I mean, in the 1952 census, 10% of people got to work by bike because the fuel rationing was still in play from the Second World War. So it's not as though it's unheard of in Australia. It has happened before and it could happen again. And I think if it did happen again, a lot of people would be very pleased about that, not just the people that ride or walk, but also the people that drive because you'd be able to find a park a lot easier and yeah. you wouldn't have as much congestion. Yeah. No, it works for everyone. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, and so we we do hear of like local councils, particularly here in Yarra, and, and Moreland's another one, that uh, are trying to get their emissions down and um, addressing those. How successful can they be with without the Victorian government also being as active? I think it's really important for the Victorian government to be as supportive as a lot of these councils are in order to maximise the benefits that come from investing in sustainable transport. But local governments do have a really important role because 80% of all streets in Australia are actually controlled by local government uh, and the bigger roads and freeways are controlled by the state government. So there's a great deal that local councils can do, especially if they're working together, because often local counts, a, a trip that someone makes it might start off in one local council area and then go to another. Now, the person riding a bike or walking doesn't really care what local government they're starting in or finishing and they just know that they need to get from point A to point B. So being able to work across the inner and middle ring suburbs for all the local government areas that that includes to create a cohesive walking and cycling uh, strategy that connects, uh, provides cohesive uh, experience for people that, that are moving across the different LGAs, that's really important. But the state government is pivotal in this, both in terms of funding, but also in terms of road space reallocation. And we've seen some examples mm. recently where the state government just hasn't been willing to take away space that was formerly dedicated to cars to be able to offer that to a more sustainable mode of transport. And I think that's really the big challenge, that regardless of money, there's a point at which governments can be really apprehensive about getting into this kind of Herald Sun style debate of the war on cars, the war on the motorist. And I think they're really sensitive to that because what what I think they do is look at census data and they think, okay, 86% of people are getting to work by car. That means 86% of votes are going to be focused on the car. And I don't think that's the right way to think about it. I don't think we can get anywhere in terms of a sustainable transport system with that style of thinking. But I think that's what's happening and that's what makes state governments fearful 
of doing things that will help to shift the dial towards more sustainable transport outcomes. Yeah. And every time you, you respond um, in by sort of backing down maybe, you, you're sending quite a strong signal about how you can be um, – Pushed around, push, you know, manipulated, especially in the lead up to elections and things. Which, uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, look, I think that's right. And but one thing that has really changed, which I think is quite a positive trend, is that organisations like the uh, the RACV are now coming out in favour of some of these bike lanes that do take away space from cars and transfer them to other Victorians that are on a different mode of transport. Yeah. And um, and that is something that 20 years ago, you know, when we all started getting interested in this sort of stuff, it's unthinkable. Yeah. So, yeah. so things have changed. And they're, they're a big membership-based organisation uh, that, that still carry a lot of weight. And I think, I think that's really interesting just to see that an automobile club are saying you need to provide this yeah. protected bike infrastructure for people to use it. Yep. It's interesting. The fuel emission standard or bringing in a fuel emission standard was one of the Labor Party's platform under um, Bill Shorten mm. in 2019. So there was there's a, a willingness it's to... going or, to be the end of the weekend, Val. Uh, yeah, I know. Just, you know, in electric vehicles, we're going to... I mean, it's... And the war on treaties as well. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's... And it's a, it's a tough nut to crack. As you can see, people back away from it pretty quickly sometimes. Yeah, you know. yeah. Well, that is all we have time for oh, today, goes. unfortunately. Thanks very much for coming into the studio, Elliot. It's a pleasure. And we don't have any events, I don't think. There's a full moon coming up at the end of the oh, week. Yep. Lovely uh, waxing gibbous out there at the moment. So get in touch with the full moon group, right? It'll be a bit of fun. We'll post a link up to it if it's uh, floating around. You're listening to Summer Programming on 3CR 855 AM. 3CR Digital, streaming on 3cr.org.au or via the Community Radio app. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.